Um, I, I just want to uh, remind you, there's, there's, there's a mistaken notion about uh, the GG classes versus the systematics classes. Um, the GG classes start on June the 4th and go for four weeks. The systematics class, if you want to be introduced to systematic theology, uh, those classes will be offered on the 16th and 23rd of July. They are, uh, that is, requires that you must attend both of them. The GG is different. It's separate. It's not the same thing, okay? It's two different things. Systematics is if you want to take it, if you want to wait around in some deep theological waters, I uh, challenge you to come, but you have to commit to the whole eight hours. And that's uh, the 16th and the 23rd of July. I hope you'll be a part. Um, you know, our plans got uh, messed up because of the rain. Um, we were all going to be together, and we all are together. Um, and there is a little disadvantage that many of you have, and that is that you, um, you don't know where we are, and, I, and I, I don't know how to overcome that. So I'm not even going to try. Uh, just hopefully there'll be something that um, we'll, you can derive benefit from. But to the rest of you, do you know how we got where we are? Do you know how we got to this place? We're in Galatians 4. Um, but uh, the book of Galatians was written because the Galatian church wanted to add to the gospel. They wanted to add something to the gospel, influenced by this, uh, this party from Jerusalem. They wanted to add something to the gospel Instead of living out the gospel, they wanted to add to the gospel, which are, are, are hugely different things. And I'm going to explain that as we go along tonight. Instead of living out the gospel, they wanted to add to the gospel. Those are, those are two entirely different gospels, and, we, and I hope to make that clear for you tonight. So, because the Galatian church was doing such a thing, Paul had been arguing with them for four chapters. We've come all the way to Galatians chapter 4. He's still arguing with them. And at, the, at those last verses, 21 through 31 of, the, of Galatians 4, he gives you the last phase of his argument, the last page of this argument, where in which that last phase of his argument, he introduces the term two covenants in verse 24. Now, you may recall, if you were here two, week, two weeks ago, that I gave you a brief introduction to covenantalism where the emphasis <coughs> was on the word unilateralism that the covenants are unilateral, and, and we made a big deal out of that. And then last week, I mean, uh, emphasizing that they're unilateral begs the question, is anything bilateral? Is there anything that, that I must uh, participate in? And so we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, but to do that last week, I mentioned two passages, one out of the Old Testament, Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, and the other one uh, out of Galatians chapter 2, where... Um, uh, using those two passages, the Old and the New Testament, I, I sought to make clear that obedience, you got to get this distinction, guys, that obedience is not a stipulation of a relationship with God. It's an implication of a relationship with God. The gospel does not say, do this and you can enter into a relationship with God. But it does say, enter into a relationship with God and the implications will that you will live this way. Um, It's not an if, it's a therefore. If you do, then you will be. That's a contract, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a covenant. A covenant is based on who you are, therefore. Okay? That's what we've been talking about. 
But I want to go back just real briefly and mention the story out of Galatians chapter 2. You remember Peter gets rebuked by the apostle Paul, verse 14. Life-changing verse, ladies and gentlemen, Galatians 2, 14. Uh, uh, Paul is writing and he says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's really a big statement, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, the gospel is not simply something to be um, uh, academically understood. It's to be lived. When I saw that their, that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, Paul goes after Peter. And he says to Peter, in essence, Peter, what are you doing? You remember, because of the influence of the people from Jerusalem, um, Peter had separated himself from the Gentiles and would not eat with them anymore. And Paul rebukes Peter out in front of everybody and says, um, what are you doing? He doesn't, in his effort to convince Peter of his misstep, he does not appeal to law. Hey, Peter, you know the rules. The rules are that no racism. You can't be separating from that group of people because you think you're a superior race. That's not what he does. He doesn't appeal to a law. He appeals to the gospel. The thing that will change your heart, ladies and gentlemen, is not telling you what the rules are. The thing that will change your heart is, is for you to be more and more overcome by the beauty of the gospel. Um, the wonderful thing, or the, one of the wonderful things that the gospel does, ladies and gentlemen, is that um, I, I don't have the right to be or to feel superior to other races, but more importantly, I don't need to feel superior to other races. When God saved me, he brought me into a union with Christ. I am in Christ. I'm in him. When Christ appears, who is my life? That's Colossians 3, 4. The gospel, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I hope you could get this, but we're going to try to make it clearer as we go, but the gospel is an end of my desperate pursuit for value. We all want to be valuable. Um, and the gospel brings a halt to this desperate quest that we're on to gain or find or establish my value. Ladies and gentlemen, the love of God is not value recognizing, it's value creating. When God loves me, he creates value. He doesn't recognize value and thus love me. <laughs> um, now, that's the distinction I have made over and over and over again. I want to read you a little bit. Just, it's probably 12 or 14 sentences from Martin Luther um, in his commentary on verse 14 of chapter 2. On 2.14, his commentary. And I'm, I'm going to go slowly because I, I, I don't want you to miss any of this. I, I hope you'll get it. Um, the person who can rightly divide law and gospel has reason to thank God. He is the true theologian. That is, the person who can separate, divide law and gospel, he's the true theologian. The right separation of law and gospel is very important to know. Christian doctrine is impossible without it. 
If you do not know how to separate law and gospel, you will never understand Christian doctrine, ladies and gentlemen. And then he adds this sentence, which I just loved. He said, I must confess that at times of temptation, I do not always know how to do it. I do not know how to separate law and gospel. Remember, I've been saying again and again that our psychology has not caught up to our theology. Oh, we believe the right things. But we get ourselves in a mess and we revert to, we default to a mode of legalistic tendency. Luther says he does that. But ladies and gentlemen, if you can tonight know the difference between law and gospel, you are the theologian. Um, But again, Luther is willing to admit that he too struggles the way that we do. Our our psychology has not caught up with our theology. Um, We Christians, we can pass a gospel test. We can get all the right answers, but we then go on living as if our worth depends upon human approval. Gang, that's bondage. We pass the the, the gospel test, and then we go on living as if our worth depends on whether people like me or not. And if people approve of me, then I feel good about myself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a trap that I'm telling you we come in and out of all throughout the course of our Christian experience. He goes on. This is more Luther quotes. He's talking about Galatians 2.14. By his compromising attitude, Peter confused the separation of law and gospel. Paul had to do something about it. He reproved Peter, not to embarrass him, but to conserve the difference between the gospel which justifies in heaven, listen, and the law which justifies on earth. Do you understand that? Um, I'll read it again better. Uh, he didn't approve him to embarrass him, but to conserve the difference between the gospel which justifies us in heaven and the law which justifies us on earth. You know what that last clause means? That is, and the law which justifies us on earth. Do you understand that last clause? It is, ladies and gentlemen, my obedience proves something, not in heaven, but it proves something here. That my obedience to law doesn't provide status in heaven, but it proves my status here. Several more sentences and I'll, I'll stop reading, but... He's, again, talking about Peter in this chapter 2.14. He says, to live as a Jew is nothing bad. To eat or not to eat pork, what difference does it make? But to play the Jew, and for conscience sake to abstain from certain meats, is a denial of Christ. You see, guys, there's a separation between gospel and law. Uh, It'll get clearer, I hope. When Paul saw that Peter's attitude tended to this... He withstood Peter and said to him, You know that the observance of the law is not needed unto righteousness. You know that we are justified by faith in Christ. 
You know that we eat all kinds of meat, yet by your example you obligate the Gentiles to forsake Christ and return to the law. For you to say, I don't eat certain things, I don't drink certain things, is to forsake the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. When I say those things as if they somehow make me more righteous. I don't eat those meat and therefore I'm holy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a denial of the gospel. Um, now guys, I, I, I may have already put you to sleep um, with all that, but I'm going to try to make up for it in, the, in, the last, in my last 20 minutes, all right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take one last stab at clarifying all of this for you, all right? So if I confused you for the first half, this ought not confuse you. You ought to be able to, you ought to, be able to follow this. Um, and um, Chris, is that thing on? It's what? Um, you know, this never fails. Oh, there it is. I knew there's. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. One of my heroes got by the name of Gresham Machen. Machen talks about there is a gospel order. There's a gospel sequence. All right? Now, there's two sequences that compete. I'm going to give you the first sequence. Are you ready? Here is the first sequence. Faith in Christ plus obedience, of course, to law, equals me being saved. 90% of mankind believes that. There's a sequence. Do you see it? It's there. There's an order. Do you see it? Machen says that there is a gospel order. There is a gospel sequence. And it ain't that one, ladies and gentlemen. But that is the understanding of 90% of mankind as to how I get right with God. I, I, I exercise faith and then I obey and those two combined equals my salvation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me show you the gospel order, the, the, the order of grace. It goes like this. Same faith equals my being saved, which then leads to my obedience. All right, guys, listen to me. So do I obey to be saved? Or am I saved and then obey? Gang, do I obey to be loved and accepted by God? Or am I already loved and accepted and therefore obey? If you cannot answer those questions, ladies and gentlemen, you do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Do I create a righteous record based on my obediences and then God rewards me based on that record? Or do I rest by faith on Christ's record and in the and on the basis of Christ's record I am forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what the world believes. And I wonder if some of you here don't believe that same thing. I, I go back to the quote from Luther. If you cannot separate law and gospel, you don't understand any of this. Ladies and gentlemen, I may have confused you in the first 15 minutes, but this is not confusing. This is simple. Um, Guys, notice, obedience is in both formulas. It's in both sequences. Did you see that? Um, But those two obediences are vastly, radically different. In one of these obediences, you are always anxious. Always wondering, have I done enough of this to achieve that? And ladies and gentlemen, this is pretty, I mean, if you believe that, then you're constantly going to be living in anxiety wondering whether I've done enough of that. Because, I mean, your, your eternal destiny depends on that you do, did, oh, I got that one down. But did I do enough of this? Um, folks, that obedience is a joyless, Selfish, often proud obedience. Why does the person here obey? Because he's trying to get something. See, obedience is in both sequences. But the motives behind those obedience... And by the way, sometimes these folks look a whole lot like these folks, or even better. Because they're so studious about their, always wondering if I've done enough of it. So, but the motive for this obedience is I want to get something from God. And so it's completely selfish It's often proud because, you know, very frankly, my obedience is better than your obedience, and therefore, (laughs) I'm better off than you are. If you subscribe to such a sequence, then you live in this world of insecurity, um, judgmentalism, um, pride, all because your motives for obedience are, are all wrong. Gang, um, 
Obedience in this gospel order, disobedience, is altogether different from that obedience. Although on the outside, it might look the same. Um, I'm just going to use this one because it's an easy one. And it, let's just say tithing. Everybody knows the word at least. Let's say both of these people do that. The motive for tithing in this person is that I think I can get something from God. But the motive for tithing in this person, he's already got that. His motive is completely different. It's an expression of gratitude. It's an expression of appreciation. Guys, because the motive for disobedience, the motives for obedience are so different in these two things, the effects on our lives are also radically different. Listen to me. Um, if, if this is who I am, then I don't ever have to compare myself with you again. I'm doing better than you. That's what, that's, what, that's what happens up here. I don't ever have to compare myself with you again. Because first of all, the standard is not you, the standard is Christ. Now, I can compare myself to Christ. But I don't have to go back and go around thinking, well, how many verses of Scripture did you uh, memorize this week? Um, uh, how, um, how many times are you in the church doors? I don't ever have to compare myself with you again. Secondly, I don't ever have to judge your failures. Which, by the way, when I do that, is just a subtle form of self-exaltation. Because when you fail, then I feel better about myself. Because I'm comparing myself with you, and you just fail, and I didn't. Um, and, by the way, when you do fail... I sure feel better about myself. So I take a certain joy in your failure. I, thirdly, I don't have to be superior to anybody or any race. I don't need to gain superiority by putting down another race. Because as I said earlier, God's love is not value recognizing, it's value creating. Once he loved me, I have value. And I don't have to create it in this, this insane pursuit of my own value by making somebody else look lower or smaller than me. And this is something that I said last week because I'm, I, I told you last week that I, I deal with this in a counseling setting, at least in my life, that is in my little counseling world, more than anything else. And it's shame. And I'm telling you guys, if you are dealing with shame over some past failure, I will tell you, it didn't come from God. I think I know where it came from. And it smells like smoke. Now, here's, here's the thing that I hope you will realize. Um, so much of the ugliness 
that is associated with Christians and Christianity is the direct result of living like this. They're judgmental. They're severe. They're elitist. They're haughty. You Christians, all of it, all of it, ladies and gentlemen, is because we do not know how to separate law and gospel. And the law and the gospel are separated right here. So much of the, you know, I, I listened to an um, eight-minute, I don't even want you to see it, it's so awful, an eight-minute um, YouTube the other day about this man's analysis of Christianity. And the things that he said about us, unbelievable. And you know what? I hope he's not describing us. But if you have not yet figured out the role, the legitimate role of law, and know how to distinguish that from gospel, then I'm telling you, all that stuff, judgmentalism and superiority and, and haughtiness, and we're, we're elite and we're better and we're, our race is better, all that business, all those things that we're being accused of, all of that comes, ladies and gentlemen, because of a failure to understand the gospel. I don't, not only am I not superior, I don't need to be. I'm set free from that. I don't have to judge your failures. In fact, I can, I can sympathize with your failures knowing that I have the same tendency. I don't have to compare you with me. I don't have to be a phony. Aren't you sick of that? I mean, that's one of the, the, the great accusations that's made about Christians. They're a bunch of phonies. Well... If this is how you understand getting right with God, yep, it gives birth to phonies. It encourages phoniness. Because I gotta look better than you. Because I gotta feel good about myself. Because number one, I'm desperate to find worth, and number two, I wanna make sure I've done enough of this so I can ultimately get that. But all that, ladies and gentlemen, can be slain with a right understanding of the gospel order. That's Machen's term, by the way. It's not mine. I didn't think that up. Guys, the law is one thing. I'm going to read it to you again. This is a quote from, uh, from Luther. The person who can rightly divide law and gospel has reason to thank God. He is a true theologian. The right separation of law and gospel is very important to know because Christian doctrine is impossible without it. Um... Until you make this distinction, ladies and gentlemen, everything that you've got is tainted by your own sense of legalism that gives birth to a bunch of ugliness. 
that I want nothing to do with. In fact, I have to fight being lumped in with that when I'm not that. But the whole world thinks we are. The whole world thinks we uh, think we're better than the other races or better than the other folks and that we are um, elitist and all that business. Um, we're judgmental and all because we have not yet been able to make a, di- a, a distinction between law and gospel. Luther's right, ladies and gentlemen. Until you learn that, learn that distinction, you will never understand Christian doctrine. It's the beginning. So, Galatians 2.14 is where Peter lost sight of that distinction and Paul stood up to him and said, what are you doing? Peter, you, um, you live like that? What you're doing is adding to the gospel. Whatever, whatever little something you want to add, whether it's, whatever you want to add. And by doing so, you've destroyed the gospel. The gospel is this, ladies and gentlemen. Faith in a Savior that saves me. And having come into that covenantal, unilateral, monergistic relationship with God, the implication is a life of obedience consistent with the God who loved me in Christ. If that's confusing, we need to talk. Our Father, I I pray that you will make it clear and that, that my words have not made it less clear, but more clear. But ultimately, Lord, it's not my words that will convince anybody of the beauty of the gospel. It is your spirit. So would you, by your Holy Spirit, hover in this room and enlighten, cause men and women to see the beauty of Christ and him crucified, and a life that reflects that we belong to him. Now, Father, um, we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the privilege of being together as, as a church family. And pray that you will knit our hearts together as we uh, seek to represent you well and rightly discerning the word of truth and rightly presenting to a world the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to that and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.